You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law and with me, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. And Wrigley here in the office. And Wrigley. So uh, apologies in advance for a barking dog. Um, Got lots of energy the last couple of days. I don't know where it's come from. Well, I had COVID and being cooped up at home, I think, you know, he didn't get walks. He didn't get to go around and explore the neighborhood and do fun things. Yeah, I know. That I don't. I don't think it's. I think it's more than that. I think it's a diet issue. Maybe he. Um, sorry, I'm picking up a treat off the floor that uh, Kyla just dropped. Um, he's been really quite slow and sleepy lately, uh, and the last two days he's got the energy of a three-year-old dog. <laughs> um, so for a fifteen-year-old dog, things have uh, things have turned around. Anyway, um, this isn't the Wrigley podcast it could be the wrigley podcast people would probably more likely listen to the wrigley podcast but uh, how are you feeling anyway you sound like you're a little short of breath yeah well i still have like an upper airway congestion according to my doctor yesterday oh yeah right so trying not to get pneumonia basically hopefully that clears up Mm -hmm. so we have no new songs this week and we haven't been uh listed in the best of vancouver this week what do we have we have a very interesting discussion that's sort of arisen out of a number of uh, high-profile speeding incidents in the Lower Mainland. Um, you know, typical things that you and I see every day. End uh, drivers, high-performance cars driving at unconscionably fast speeds. Not just end drivers. That one that the Vancouver traffic put, uh, 160, I think it was, or something like that. I don't know. It was a ridiculous high speed, and it sounded like it was on 16th on the way going up to UBC in what looked like a, it was a Lamborghini. Yeah. Yeah. Aventor or whatever they're called. I don't know. I don't really. A typical UBC car. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Uh, But this is driving past. If it's on 60, it doesn't matter which road it is, actually, every one of them goes past a school. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All of the roads that go up to UBC at some point, well, maybe Marine Drive doesn't. I don't know. Oh, yeah, maybe it does too. Um, they all go past schools, and the speed that some people drive on their way to UBC in their Lamborghinis and Ferraris and uh, AMG, Mercedes, and Porsches is uh, often startling. Yeah. Um, and so there's a discussion because it's all new cars doing this and motorcycles. Yep. All yep. new cars. So the discussion is. Where is the responsibility or when are we going to force auto manufacturers to take responsibility for manufacturing cars that can go these ridiculous speeds? Both, one, in dealing with it through regulation, but also, two, what about civil liability? So I thought we'd talk about those two issues. Well, I've been thinking about the regulation aspect for a while because we know that cars in Germany, German manufactured cars, there's an agreement between the manufacturers to speed limit their vehicles to 240 kilometers an hour because, of course, there are large sections of the Autobahn which are speed limit free. And in Japan, um, there are, you know, some Nissans that, uh, that, um, you know, can do these ridiculous speeds, 300 kilometers an hour and things like that. And they are... Um, apparently for a while now, they've had them speed limited by GPS. So if you drive to a track, uh, you know, an authorized racetrack, the speed limit will come off 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but the rest of the time, you are speed limited in that vehicle to some extent. Um, you know, people in Germany, some people buy Jaguars because they don't comply with that the speed limit or Ferraris and things like that. But the German manufacturers have that. But that is to avoid the reason they did it was to avoid being regulated. Right. We're talking about something else. We're now seeing trucks that are going to have all sorts of regulations about the manner in which they can be operated that are limited. And the technology is there now, um, especially when we're seeing these cars with incredible power as that as the manufacturing, um, the, the, the design of vehicles has become so advanced. We, you know, it's not. I think about like my first car. It was a 1989 Mazda 626, and I can get it up to about 90 kilometers an hour before it would start doing this huge vibration well, and stall. So that car could probably do 150, 160 in a pinch, um, but no, now I'm we've got these cars. That car, yeah. Now, virtually every car that's sold right now can do 200 kilometers an hour. And what is, why is that necessary at, for a car in North America? I know. None of them are going on a racetrack. Um, Maybe some are, but I know. But like your your sedan, the no. car that you drive, yeah, um, is not ever going on a racetrack, Never. and it doesn't need to go two hundred kilometers an hour. Nope. You think about you know I have children, and children get in cars with other kids when they're teenagers um, or in their early twenties, and um, you know it is absolutely dangerous and unnecessary to have cars that go that fast. Yep, and at some point the discussion's going to happen. Because, as they say, speed kills. Um, these high speeds certainly do. We've seen lots of accidents in this city. Uh, I can, I, you know, I drive up and down Camby Road, and I think of all the, like Camby going from from downtown to Southwest Marine Drive, and I know all the spots historically in the last twenty years where people have died, mm-hmm. and every one of those cases is a speed case. So you posted something on Twitter about this. Yes, I I tweeted essentially that I think we should pass regulations requiring car manufacturers to not let the cars travel these speeds. And I responded that I thought 150, 160 was plenty fast because if you're in a tight situation where you're passing and some truck decides to cut you off on the highway. The truck is going to be speed limited anyway. Yeah, but you're not you're still not going beyond those speeds, even in that emergency situation. No, no. And especially if we're speed limiting trucks to a lower speed than we're speed limiting cars, you can always get away from the dangerous car using speed. I mean, barring other road features and whatever. So I I think, you know, you think of all the new vehicles that could be very easily speed limited purely by an electronic fix by the manufacturer from this all point on. the electric on. cars. And the electric cars are easy, but all, even the other cars are brand new ones. Easy, easy thing to put in. Mm-hmm. Um, and the manufacturers would probably tell you it will not cost them a penny to do it. Uh, <laughs> or scent product. With Teslas and things like that, where it requires software updates from the manufacturer in order to function, what? there's no reason why um, you know the province couldn't regulate. Um, no reason why the province couldn't regulate, um, you know, once you, that vehicle travels inside of BC, not just BC vehicles, once it hits the BC border, mm-hmm. GPS, speed limit. Yep. I mean, Tesla drivers, a lot of them probably wouldn't like it, but a lot of them probably would, especially when you've got kids who are driving your car. Yeah. You know, I don't want my, my children are responsible kids, but I, you know, I remember I was a responsible kid too. 
my dad loved my dad loved letting me drive because I was a responsible driver. But I'll tell you, you know, the first couple of days when I didn't have a supervisor was pedal to the metal. Yep. I got I got my license suspended for too many speeding tickets. I got, so and I did too. So we both we both know it. Um so point here is that, you know, the cars that we had in our back in our day, the cars we had couldn't do these ridiculous speeds and they were dangerous enough. These vehicles are dangerous enough and you can still kill somebody at 150, 160. Please kill someone um, at 50. But it's just a matter of time until technology regulates. Yep. Uh, and it's, uh, and I think it's time to have this discussion and I'm surprised that Kyla Lee, who defends so many speeding tickets, uh, we don't often talk about Put that. Put out of business. Yeah, I know. You're always criticized as, oh, you're assisting drunk drivers. Well, no, you're not. You know, you're keeping the system fair. Yep. You're assisting. You're trying to get more business. No, you're not. It's, this is what we happen to do. We think about road safety all the time. But here's the other piece. At some point, does it not become negligence for car manufacturers to create vehicles that they know can be driven these insanely high speeds and do nothing to prevent it from happening well when there's an easy electronic fix for sure yeah like the foreseeability that somebody is going to go full pedal to the metal um run that vehicle up to its top speed just to see what it can do lose control and kill somebody like that is not an unforeseeable risk well, I think they would say the intervening issue is the driver and the driver's decision, but I don't. But it's a lot like host liability, I think. I think so, and I think that I think that is is a future opportunity for people in the litigation world, like Eric <laughs> Mackin, uh, because you've got these people who are driving these speeds, and you're driving those that those speeds. Um, I think ICBC will likely uh, decline coverage in some of those cases, which means you can sue the driver and there's nothing to stop you from taking your shot at suing the manufacturer. Um, it's reasonably foreseeable that people will do this because we see it all the time. Yep. Um, so, yeah, for sure. I can see that happening. That'll be an interesting one when it does. We are... Uh, uh, imagining the future here and the future is not far away that's correct now moving on to other tragic road incidents uh this is a decision from the bc supreme court in a case called peter uh sorry makara and peter um a case involving a an accident with a pedestrian and a pickup truck um the pedestrian was walking he was 35 years old um, on October 30th, 2018, he was hit by this pickup truck, lung into the ditch, left with a traumatic uh, brain injury that uh, essentially um, requires lifelong care. So pouring rain in the dark, mm-hmm. walking on the road and struck by the pickup truck. And this was a decision essentially on liability. Yes. And liability, it's a funny thing because so rarely do we end up uh, having them resolved in court in BC because it's usually just ICBC sitting down uh, and making that determination and then the lawyers being happy with that determination. But this was an interesting one because it was a, a case where the argument could be made that the pedestrian was the one at fault. Yes. So the roadway, to give you the picture, the court found that the roadway was two lanes, one lane in either direction, with a yellow line running down the middle. There was no sidewalk. 
there was a 1.2-meter paved shoulder on the road with a solid white fog line separating the shoulder from the rest of the road, a small strip of gravel parallel to the paved shoulder, a ditch parallel to the road just beside the strip of gravel, and a speed limit of 60 kilometers per hour. So what was the driving? So the driving um, was uh, essentially that, uh, oh, well, I, I think before we get to the driving, we also need to talk about what the plaintiff was wearing. Sure. Yeah. Uh, he, had, uh, he had uh, dark gray or black clothing, a hoodie that was up over his head. Uh, he was not carrying any lights. He had no reflective materials. So basically in a hoodie, walking down the street um, in dark. So the, in the rain, in the rain. Yes. Um, so the defendant gave a statement to the police about how the accident happened and his driving. Um, and he said uh, essentially that uh, he was driving. There were no cars coming. There was no traffic ahead of him. He had his regular headlights on and somebody appeared in the reflection of his right headlight, uh, the back of a hooded figure all in dark. Um, and uh, he was walking um, it happened really quickly. The front right of his car, uh, hit the pedestrian when he swerved left to avoid him. Yeah. Truck. So it sounds like the pedestrian was in the lane. He sees him at the very travel. lane of travel. He sees him at the very last second, swerves and brakes. Um, and then he, uh, called 911, got out of his truck looking for the, uh, the pedestrian, couldn't find him, mm -hmm. called his, uh, um, family member who's a volunteer firefighter, I think as well. And eventually, um, you know, he, they did locate the, the, uh, individual who was badly injured and has ongoing, um, brain injuries and, and suffering as a result of it. And the other thing that the, um, the defendant gave evidence about at trial was that he knew that people would often, people and animals would often walk on the traveled portion of the roadway, but on that date, because of how heavily it was raining and the time of night, he figured nobody's going to be walking on the road right now. Well, he's driving in the pouring rain. His windshield wipers are going fast. And so the the plaintiff claimed here that there was a few things he should have been doing differently. Should have put his should have had his high beams, beams on. on. Yep. Um, and um, should have been cognizant, I guess, of pedestrians, which he was, but it comes up on you so fast. Mm -hmm. um, when it came to the high beam issue, um, there was other evidence that uh, Transport Canada and other organizations recommend that you don't use your high beams in the rain. Um, I would assume that that depends on the, how heavy the rain is, because, of course, then it just illuminates the rain coming at you. If you've ever tried using your high beams in blowing snow, yep. um, it doesn't, doesn't work if you're in a car. And the pedestrian who was hit was also drunk. Um, he had had about 16 ounces, they calculated, of hard liquor based but on his... Starting life. hours earlier. Starting so at 4 p.m. But that's, you know, we've seen that before, right? There's that famous case of the um, of the master who was driving his Porsche and Judge McGivern who was beside him in his Lincoln and uh, uh, individual stepped out on the street on, um, on Burrard Street right in front of... Uh, of um, the hospital there and uh question was whether or not that the master um this is like a judge basically a um a, a justice just sort of in that that role um was uh dangerous driving so we've seen it before and that individual was drunk 320 i think was his blood alcohol concentration on the high beams um 
the officer indicated, or sorry, the court indicated that they found that the high beams were not, uh, it wasn't negligent to not use high beams, and that uh, the um, failure to use uh, high beams was actually correct because both ICBC's safe driving guidelines and Transport Canada's recommendations said high beams in heavy rain make it more difficult to see the road because they reflect back from the raindrops into you. As I said. Yes. 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 But I'm talking about the court's findings. Oh, okay. You're just talking about that. I was talking about the evidence that was yeah. put in, yeah. Yeah. Um, the court also found that um, based on the accident reconstruction report, he was going below the speed limit, 39 kilometers an hour. Um, so well below the speed limit. Safe, safe. Rib- conditions. Relatively safe. Never safe if you're after the fact looking at an accident, right? Yeah. You know, everybody always assumes that there's an accident, that you were doing something wrong because it's a collision. The Does... inherent in accident is that it's an accident. Well, it's always, it's never an accident. It's, it's a, a collision. It's a crash. It's yeah. never an accident. It's always avoidable. Well, so, was this avoidable? No. The court well, says no reasonable driver exercising proper diligence could have avoided striking the plaintiff. So it's nice to have this decision because yeah. it's recognition that, yes, sometimes you are not at fault when you've hit a pedestrian and sometimes it is basically not avoidable for a reasonable person. So that's the reason that I thought that this was a uh, interesting decision because we just don't see them, right? Like they don't, they don't, we end up in arguments all the time trying to explain, look, our client couldn't have done anything else. Um, and uh, ICBC is always taking the position, well, you know, obviously it was an accident. So therefore they could have done something different. Yeah. Well, in this case, um, it was, uh, it was an accident and the court says, no, a reasonable person would not, could not have done something. Now, before you go get up in arms, all this was was a trial to determine liability. The person who was struck is still going to get compensation for their injuries. Sure. And all the ICBC coverage. So it was, it was who knows why? Maybe it's because it was a corporate owned truck that this person was suing. There might be liability some. affects your insurance rate. Sure. But this ended up being a breach as well. This ended up being a BC Supreme Court case, which is why we say it's rare to see it. Because usually ICBC is paying the bill no matter what, right? So, yep. um, but the amount of the the um, the judgment may be different, of course, or the amount of the the damages, the compensation for the injury that ICBC is going to pay is probably significantly different. Now, Paul, speaking of people who are at fault. Oh, okay. All right. I know what this is going to be. The ridiculous driver of the week. The reviews are in. This book has been a lifesaver. If you haven't bought a copy yet, I can't recommend it enough. Thanks to the pinpoint method, I feel like I now have concrete strategies I can employ for difficult situations. Published by LexisNexis, cross-examination the pinpoint method is an essential addition to your bookshelf. Order now. Yes. Uh, This is a 20-year-old bad Uh, who was arrested on Highway 1 in the United States, which for those who don't know, Highway 1 is the highway that goes to Key West, Florida. Goes right down to the tip. It goes to the southernmost point of the continental U.S. Mm -hmm. So that big bridge that you've seen on um, True Lies, um, the film True Lies, and a couple of James Bond films, it runs down all the way through the Florida Keys. And ends at Key West at mile zero, uh, Highway 1. Yep. And this highway is, it's a, a high-speed highway. 
um, for a lot of it. It also has nothing, no exits, nothing on any, either side other than the Caribbean Sea. Yeah, there's lots of spots of it where you're driving on little tiny islands where there's nobody living or there's, we've driven it. Kyla yeah. and I have both driven it. We've, we've More than gone most. to uh, conferences in Key West. Key West is an interesting place to go. Too many tourists probably for the people of Key West. Of course, we're thinking about Key West right now because of... Uh, All the hurricanes. Well, Jimmy Buffett. Yeah. Um, but uh, in any event, the um, it is a, uh, a, a big highway where there's really nowhere to pull off. Um, it's, you're not driving at super high speeds. Uh, it, it's quite fairly heavily regulated. There's, um, but, uh, you know, where can you turn off? You can turn off in, uh, um, no key, Lar- key, Lar- key Largo. Yeah. There's spots now they've rebuilt a lot of it. Got there a, is a shoal, but... but in any event, so this happens on this highway. This is imagine now this highway with these gigantic bridges that go for, you know, miles and there's just nothing there. And what happens, Kyler? A man, 20 years old, is arrested because he is driving down this highway in a stolen golf cart. And the thing is, we see the golf cart cases all the time, but just thinking about this location, I mean, my God, um, a (laughs) golf cart driving down to the Florida Keys. Open liquor. He's drunk. He stole it. And he has no license. He's got fake ID. And he's 20. And he's 20. So off to a great start for this Florida man. Well, yep. Um, I guess he decided to uh, to you know go visit Key West, maybe in memory of Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, he stole it from the Key West uh, golf cart. Well, okay. Well, maybe he was driving north then, and he was headed to Key Largo. He was at mile marker five. Oh well, he hadn't got he hadn't got very far out of Key West. <laughs> <laughs> but five miles in a stolen gar- golf cart while drunk with well, not seeing an He might have started at mile two. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, I, I mean, my hat tips to him. International fame for... I've seen people who uh, appear to be grossly intoxicated on scooters and rented bikes in, uh, in Key West. And I'm sure it is a busy place for the impaired driving lawyers uh oh, yeah. and we know uh we know mike kessler king of key west who goes there all the time and has an office there and yep. uh lovely guy keeps him busy yep so that's our podcast if you want to reach us about a driving law related issue you can find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com or give us a call at 604-685-8889 and tune in next week for another exciting episode of driving law 